You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to Episode 65, Volunteer Training 101. Well, whether it's at the beginning of a semester or a school year or midway through, it's good for us to have regular times where we meet together with our volunteers, where we resource them, encourage them, and help them uh, learn how to utilize the way God has wired them to invest well in their students. And to help us talk about how to train and lead and invest in your volunteers is Kristen Lascola. I will let her introduce herself here in a bit, but she is a youth ministry veteran who has a lot of experience with this, and we have a great conversation about some good practices to have with your volunteers, regardless of your church size or location, and maybe some things to avoid as well. So let's hop into this great conversation with Kristen. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's great to have you. Uh, if you could, most of our listeners probably know who you are, but give our listeners a little intro about you and your ministry. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's um, It was fun to get to chat with you a little bit. So um, I am the middle school pastor at a church in San Diego County called North Coast Church. We have a few campuses. So I'm at our Fallbrook campus. I do sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And um, yeah, we also have the Ministry Coach podcast um, that we've been doing, I guess, like about a year and a half. And um, that's on YouTube or on all the platforms. But uh, before that, I was working with uh, YMB. So our great friends, Zach yeah. Orkin and Chad mm-hmm. Higgins. I worked with Youth Ministry Booster for a few years before that. I mean, even when it was after nine, I don't know if you're yeah. OG oh, enough remember. to remember after nine. <laughs> I, have, I have an after nine little button on yeah, my lanyard okay. that Those I guys yeah. love buttons. Are you a button person? <laughs> not, not really. They're, they're cool. I'm not really like, you know, the kid with all the buttons on their backpack in high school. That, that wasn't me. Um, so they're, they're, they're cool though. Yeah, they are cool. cool. I didn't realize it was such a culture, but Chad and Zach introduced me to button culture <laughs> because out here in San Diego, we don't do buttons. We do stickers and they are like, oh my gosh, no, everyone trades button stuff, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So I did after nine for a bit YMB and um, yeah, that that's kind of, I've been doing youth ministry for, um, I think this is 17 years at North Coast Church. Awesome. Um, so a long time, all with middle school. They haven't, they haven't worn me down yet. <laughs> <laughs> they have a tendency to do that. Uh, on you. I have, I have some gray hairs named after some students. Um, so yeah, awesome. Well, it's so good to have you, Kristen. And uh, for this episode, something that you are that you are very well versed in, you've talked about on your podcast, probably ministry coach and YMB, and probably done a lot of training at your own church, is um, how to train leaders well. So we're going to talk about foundational and effective ways to train your volunteer leaders. Uh, they are the lifeblood of our ministry, especially for children and youth. You know, we have adult 
leaders who are parking lot greeters or who do the welcome team and things like that. But I feel like especially children and youth, they really enable us to do probably 75% of our ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of you listening might be the youth pastor or leader at your church. Uh, and you might be a volunteer. You might get paid in mediocre pizza and that's okay. <laughs> um, but regardless of salary, um, it's good for all of us to learn how to train up other leaders to help us invest in the next generation. So Kristen, before we talk specifically about practices, I wanted to know if you could give us an overview of what you've seen in 17 plus years of training volunteers, um, perhaps starting with your own involvement in youth ministry. What have you seen in the volunteer training world? Yeah, I um, I love how you intro that. It is for sure we can't do anything without these people. You know, we don't have a ministry. We don't have a midweek. We have nothing without our volunteers. And, you know, I think back to when I first got hired and I'm like, was I trained, you know? And I think back and I'm like, yeah, I was, but it didn't feel like training. And so Mm -hmm. like, I think my number one observation is good training Like there's some corporate, there's some training in the corporate sense of the word in terms of like, Hey, we just have to teach you how to use the mail machine, or we have to teach you how to, you know, use this or do that, like certain task oriented things. But if you really think back to when you started ministry and how you became seasoned, I don't know if you would agree in your experience, but I just feel like mine happened so much more organically and it was through proximity to very yes. good leaders. And yes. so it was just like all of a sudden you were being developed and discipled. And I guess using the word trained makes sense, but it wasn't like in that sense of like, all right, like now you're going to sit here and take some notes and, you know, right, and I think there is right. a time and a place for that. And I'll touch on some topics that are important for that. But I think just overall, like I just get the sense that um, really good ministry training happens organically within proximity to good leaders who Mm. are being intentional and, you know, coaching (laughs) to use our word and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being very like anything. What is the, the number one thing I learned in ministry is, everything happens in the context of relationship. Absolutely. So training would be no different. You know, we teach our leaders, you know, have a relationship with students. That's like how we communicate truth. But with us communicating the truth of how to do ministry to our leaders, it's all through their relationship proximity to us. Um, So it's kind of that, I don't know, cliche, caught, not taught kind Mm. of thing. I don't know. We use that a lot of like good ministry habits are usually caught, not necessarily taught, Mm. but you know, that does leave room also for, um, there's some things that just, we have to train, train on, you know? Um, and yeah. So I think, I think it's kind of a both thing. It's the standard corporate sense of the word, but then it's also that organic relationship proximity thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. That's exactly how, when I came into working with youth, you know, I started my first 
summer internship the day I graduated high school. Um, and I've, I hope I've come a long way since then. <laughs> uh, it's not just sh- shooting Nerf guns in the office, but um, yeah, it, you know, I, I can really point back to so many leaders in my life who, um, you know, I can call them up today and we can catch up. And I had them at my, I had my seventh grade leaders at my ordination, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it is, it's so organic and it's so, um, you spend time with them, uh, with men and women, and you get to see different perspectives, how they handle different students, different situations. And um, so in a way, I sort of had that training, even when I started as an 18 year old, you know, and mm-hmm. um it really is the proximity to good leaders who are intentional that in a large scope outweighs anything you can get in a three hour seminar taking notes. And not to say that that's not important. And I feel like a lot of things in the last decade in that setting has probably been child safety training, um, having, you know, trying to learn the ins and outs of technology and communication with this new generation and things like that. But really just, methods, interaction, personality, how to react. I do feel that it is a lot uh, in the organic realm. Um, So yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, So, all right, let's talk about good practices. um, I'm sure you've gone through some and and, uh, realized that some hopefully stand out uh, as really good ones. So Kristen, give us best practices that people who are listening or watching can start employing with their volunteer leaders and how to train them well. Yeah. So I'm a super big advocate. Um, and I feel like a broken record on it, but like a two leader small group system. Okay. So usually, um, and some people might be listening, like I can barely find one leader per yes. group. You know, right. you're asking me to do two. Well, yes. And especially if you're, if the newer you are, I think the harder this is because the longer you go in ministry, as you know, cause it sounds like you and I started when we were similar in age. I remember I was like, I think had just graduated from high school and then I started becoming a small group leader. Um, and I mean, maybe you were way more mature than me, but I was like, I don't no know way. what, to do, <laughs> you know, like here I am leading a small group. Like, what does that even mean? So the director ahead of me, she was just so wise to pair me with a very seasoned small group leader. And it was a girl who was a little bit older than me, who had been doing it for a couple of years. And, you know, those first few weeks, I didn't do anything except sit there and observe. And um, I think that's just the beauty of that two leader system is that when you have these new leaders come in that need training or coaching or whatever, you put them in close proximity yourself, but you also put them in close proximity to another leader that has been there a while that understands students and knows how to lead small groups. And it's just through so much observation that they start to catch the DNA of your ministry. If you don't have a two-leader system yet, another thing I think that I found to be super successful is coach leading. So you become that other leader if you can. So Mm. I just got done coach leading like a sixth grade boys, small group with one of my like senior boy leaders. And it was 
a blast. You know, I had so much fun, but then I could show him, Hey, this is how you get control when they're wild. This is how you discipline It's So I go, you can go through all of that in a session of like, Hey, let's meet for coffee. I'm going to talk to you about how to discipline kids, which is so smart. Right. But then yeah. when you actually coach lead with them, then they see all of that stuff in practice. And it's a lot more work for us because, you know, we're having to hop around to those small groups, but um, I've just noticed there's no substitute for that real life. um, Them being able to watch you in action kind of thing. Mm. Um, So, and, and with that, it's just, you start to understand a little bit of Cause I don't know about you, but once they go to small groups, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I hope you're doing a good job, but I can only ask like, how, right. how did small group go? And, you know, you get some feedback and you try to stay in communication, but when you're actually sitting there with them, you start to get the nuance of, oh, this leader is really fun, but they don't get a lot of stuff done or this leader lectures the whole time or whatever. So Um, you know, that coach leading model, I think is great, even for people who have been around for a little bit. You know, I used to hop around uh, to a different small group each week, and just kind of sit in and help lead or just observe or whatever. But I think we have to find ways to increase our proximity as much as possible um, for those small group leaders. So a two leader system coach leading, that's definitely a best practice. Um, and then another one I would say is pick the things that are super important to you and sprinkle them out, um, throughout the year. So I think sometimes I've fallen into the trap of, Oh, you're a new leader. Let me train you on how to take attendance, how to lead a small group, this, 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 like four things, right. I would talk about, with brand new leaders, but then it was kind of like I would release them and then that was it. Mm. So I've noticed as a staff member at our church, you know, our church is so good about on the job training and every, you know, three, four, six months, whatever it might be, we might get called into a mental health training. Uh, We might get called into uh, how to life coach people training, you know, it just might be different kinds of things see who you have on staff or in your network, who is an expert on something relating Mm. to a topic that's important and bring them in and pick a Saturday, get everyone breakfast and come and do a training on mental health or um, emotional intelligence or a topic that you think would really benefit you guys, like reach out creatively to different resources um, you know, or a great podcast like this that's on YouTube. You know, there's always things that you can pull in uh, to train them as you go. So I think we, one mistake I made in the beginning, I just feel like I felt like I would wind them up and let them go, but then never come back to say, hey, like leaders are learners. Let's continue to learn together and really take this group and disciple them and train them for the long haul, not just that initial onboarding process, which onboarding is super important. I think we could do a whole episode probably just on Mm -hmm. onboarding those brand new volunteers and what they need to have, like what boxes they need to check. But um, 
what about like, if you're hoping to keep somebody for five years, have they had anything in between the onboarding and year five to sharpen or develop their skills? You know, are you maybe reading a book together? Um, Are you sending them? I used to send my leaders like cool youth ministry articles and then be like, Hey, let's read this. And then like, talk about it at our next meeting, just sprinkling things in there to keep us as sharp as possible. But um, yeah, I think it's more of a mentality thing too. You know, you know, when you're looking for something, you find it, Yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. if you get a new car, all of a sudden you notice everyone else has your car, but yes, if you're yes, not yes. looking for it, you don't see it. So if you're looking for opportunities of training, discipling, developing, it's funny how many things come across your path that you're like, oh, I should share that with my team. Start thinking of them as a staff you know, uh, a staff to share things with, develop, treat them. There's just a whole mentality of um, treating your volunteers as if they were your paid staff. You know, sometimes I think there's a distance there of like, oh, these people aren't paid. So it's just different. You know, they're not going to, but why not treat your volunteers and resource them as if they're a paid team. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Um, I think the results of, somebody rising to the occasion. Yeah. Love it. Those are really good things. And it, and it sounds like from you talking and from what I've heard others talk about, um, you really do learn the best by going through it yourself and realizing, mm, this doesn't quite line up. Let me try and do it again. And, you know, like, like you talked about here, are the important things when I'm, we onboard a leader, you send them off, but you know, part of developing leaders isn't just a Saturday training. It is a, let me follow up with you. And Hey, in two weeks, I'll sit in, a, I'll sit in with your group and then let's go to coffee and, you know, talk about you do these things really well. Here's some things I think you could do that would even improve what you do well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and leaders are, leaders are learners. I love that, that statement. And uh, I think we'll talk about this a little later. We talk about some words of warning and maybe things to look out for, but bringing in experts. Um, yeah, I feel like a, a lot of times we are leaders and maybe even ourselves, we feel like we have to be an expert on this. And, mm-hmm. um, and oftentimes and I've talked about this in the podcast with um, uh, a guy who works in a, a trauma center for students um, is uh, he said, you wouldn't believe the amount of students who are here who have trauma from pastors or from ministers trying to do the right thing hmm. and really triggering something or really just exacerbating a problem by trying to step in and be a counselor or be a whatever, when they can provide some of that, but bring in an expert on mental health or an expert on yeah. these depression issues, especially, I mean, with Gen Z and things like that. I think that's that hopefully relieves our leaders and us from saying, hey, it's good that we point students and parents and others and ourselves toward people like these who God's gifted and we don't have to step in and know everything, right? Um, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I was going to say, and then like listening to our leaders as well. Um, and Mm -hmm. where are they at? What do they need? I remember I learned so much from my first, you know, boss in ministry and every Tuesday night after youth group, um, you know, no matter how many kids were left, she would always find me and say, how did your small group go? 
And I would be honest. I'd say, you know, like I felt like it kind of failed tonight. Like nobody would listen. I felt like I was just trying to rein them in the whole time. It kind of felt pointless. And then other nights I would be like, wow, like we had such a good conversation and she would celebrate that with me. But the nights that didn't go so great, I remember eventually she came into my small group and talked to the girls for me and said, guys, like you got to get it together. You have to be respectful and listen. And so she would kind of intervene because mm. she knew it was going on. Cause I was like 18 years old, you know, I didn't know how to, how to corral and uh, get, I guess the control like in a good way without, you know, some leaders go over the top, like everybody sit down, shut up, you know, but I didn't know like, Oh, well, how do we make this purposeful? And so her Mm -hmm. asking every week gave her the insight to know how to come alongside me. So I think that's another big thing um, that's related to training is constant communication with those leaders of, Hey, how's your group going? Is there anything you need for me? The other week, a leader asked me, can we just go meet outside? I'm like, yeah, but why? Well, cause there's a playground in our room and the girls don't listen. They're just climbing on the playground the whole time. I'm like, Oh shoot. Like how long has this been a problem? I probably should have been asking you like, what's going on? How are you doing? Anything you need? And I just assumed silence meant she's okay. Mm, you know, but she was yeah. so frustrated every week that none of the girls would listen to her. So I came in, I said, Hey guys, when she tells you to stay off the playground equipment, I need you to listen. And if you can't, you're going to have to step out and blah, blah, blah. So then I can follow up. Hey, is everything under control? But we training is also being, um, you know, I kind of look at it as we work for our volunteers. They don't work for us. Mm, yeah. And I think when you have that mindset shift, um, and I don't think a lot of youth pastors come in like you work for me, like in, uh, in that kind of sense. But Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you think uh, like we have the, the dynamic switched in our mind, but really these are the people that are doing the ministry and we're here to support them um, and make sure they're successful and make sure they have everything they need. So checking in frequently, listening, resourcing them, um, treating, I feel like those are the people that you should be putting most of your mental energy toward on a program night. Um, and that's a, that's a change. I think that's hard when you go from focusing hundred percent on students to now the people that are ministering to those students, like you become the resourcer in that sense, like you work for them. What can I do to make you successful? And I think, that is a secret of longevity also for our, for our youth past or our volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No worries. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, our friend Zach would say that uh, we, need to, we need to be a good curator of content, not just a creator, not just an instigator, but a curator of seeing what's around and then resourcing our leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like that. I've I feel like I've been talking about this one topic a lot lately, maybe even with with some guests on here or otherwise. But you know, I feel like our students are going to be sowing what we reap. Or wait a minute, Did I have that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, reaping, reaping what, we, what sow. we sow. Yeah. So 
you know, what, how, how we invest in their leaders and the things that we try and plant, um, our students are going to be reaping what we sow into their leaders, not just into them. Um, and, right. uh, it's so important for us to see that big picture. Um, I like to tell my students kind of like a horse, we need to take the blinders off because we can get so focused on, okay, I need to have a good small group. Okay. I need to make sure this lesson gets taught and everyone's quiet and in their groups. Okay. We're doing well. And when you take the big picture and you realize the anxiety that these two leaders have over here, because they're not sure they have support or they're not sure they know all the right methods or that this leader is really doing something well, but um, if they just had one or two different resources or five minutes with us after every Sunday morning or Tuesday night, kind of like you had with, with your boss, how, how much it would help them. And mm-hmm. so it's good for us just to kind of think widely and think long-term, like think, mm-hmm. hey, in 10 years, um, how are my students going to be reaping the benefits of how I've invested in their leaders as well as in them? And think right. of it like as a multi-tier investment. Um, and I, I, you know, it sounds like what you're talking about, it's not just us investing in the next generation of students, but certainly in the next generation of leaders. Um, and that makes a huge difference because if we're trying to replace ourselves in the church, if we're trying to grow up the, uh, next generation and make sure that the next generations of the church have leaders who have experienced, who have been resourced, who have been encouraged, then um, that's going to mean a lot more than patting ourselves on the back after a good message on a Sunday morning. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's all about the, uh, the big picture, the big picture. Yeah. And um, that contributes to the health of the church overall. You yes, know, if adults yes. are having good experiences and volunteer positions, and mm-hmm. I had a leader tell me the other day, she doesn't have any kids in our youth ministry anymore, but she's still here. She That's started awesome. because she had kids coming through and her kids are all older now. And she said, you know, to be honest, um, the reason I'm still here is because of you. Mm. And I said, really? I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, because you are a great leader and I want to work with you. And that like was probably one of the best compliments I ever received. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking through, yeah, you know, adults having good experiences and using their gifts. Um, you know, I think that is a huge ministry in and of itself in contributing to the overall health of, the church and our ministry, if the adults are excited, I mean, have you, when you have adults that are excited and healthy and cared for that, that permeates the culture of your youth ministry. Like they're stoked, they're bringing energy, they're excited, they're ready to love and pour out. And what we pour into them, they're pouring out into the kids. And, you know, that is, there's no replacement for that relationship, you know, Um, and it takes time, but yeah, we'll never know the things unless we spend time and ask and, um, and it takes that. Time. Yeah, <laughs> definitely time. Time is valuable. And, you know, it's, um, it can be a lot for people. I mean, you, you mentioned the leader who you have now who's still in because she has no kids, but she wants to follow you as a good leader. And we also have leaders who, you know, have five or six kids at home, or, you know, they're also working a full time job and trying to get there. And they're just so done, but they're there because, they know that they're being encouraged 
by people like us in ministry who want them there, who value them, who we show them that we value them. And um, it can it can mean a lot. And I remember hearing from adult leaders who've especially gone to like a retreat or a camp or a mission trip, how they're like, I think I was blessed more than, than the kids mm-hmm. were, you know, yeah. it's just um, to be a participant in the ministry and the expansion of the kingdom and to see God at work and using someone like me um, who just started out wanting to host kids for a pool party. And that's all I had capacity for. And now I'm sitting here leading this sophomore kid who showed up at our church three months ago to the Lord. And it's like, Mm. wow, wow. And um, it's, and and that makes it really cool for us because um, I've, I've heard a lot and I'm sure you have too, how ministry in general, but then specific pockets of ministry can be a a thankless job. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rewards might be few and far between. And yes and no, I guess, but um, it's not just like wins with students. It's wins with your leaders. And you're right. When you have adults who are like into it and they're like rock star leader, it changes the atmosphere and it really has yeah. an influence on the students, has an influence that's palpable in the room when they say, when, when they see adults who aren't just like, I'm just here to facilitate a small group. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, how was your week? Hey, how was your football mm-hmm. game? I went to the last one and and things went well, you know. Um, just having adults who are so in it and it's clear, it doesn't matter if the leader is 26 or 76 uh, or what their cool factor is. If those students see adults who care about them and are excited to see them and they know that they're there for them, they're the best leaders ever. doesn't matter mm-hmm. who they are or some of their gifts or appearance those are the leaders yes. that, that you want. And so I agree. Yeah, that that's who we should be um thinking of. When I when I say 76, I think of a leader at my home church. Um, he was in his upper 70s, and I had this screenshot of him I've used several times in giving examples of leaders. It was at summer camp. It was like 10:30 at night. He had a green shaving cream mohawk and like all these different <laughs> clothes on him for the fashion show, whatever. Aww. And like the, the cutest old man ever. And he's with junior high boys. And it's so cool to see that. And it's like, yeah. you would think kids like that would run a guy like that over. Probably sometimes they do. But um, the respect they have for him, the excitement to have him there, his, his authentic excitement to be there. Mm. Um, it's just so cool. That's awesome. And it is. It is really awesome. And and seeing that also is like a good kick in the pants for me to be like, hey, it's not all about my ability or accomplishments or whatever. Like, just show up and be willing to be used and look at what God does. Mm-hmm. And uh that that awe factor and that um just wow factor of anticipation and see how God works. You know, I think mm-hmm. that is a learning experience and chance for us as much as it is that we try and prov- that we try and provide for our leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are probably some people listening, uh, maybe the majority, because the majority of churches in America, you know, are 100, 125 part-time youth leaders, hardly any volunteers, maybe a few. So um, Kristen, would there be a few things that you've learned and think these are good practices, but maybe they need to be adapted for anyone who's listening. Who's like, I'm a volunteer. I don't have a big ministry. 
Um, I'm in an, I'm in an urban context. Are there things that we can pass along that are evergreen for them to latch onto as leaders that don't require a certain ministry context? Definitely. I mean, I think everything we talked about could be used in any ministry context. And I speak from, you know, when I stepped into this role, I had 11 kids, Mm. you know, and I wouldn't say my um, tactics on volunteer training and recruitment has changed all that much from 11 kids to 130 kids. Like it doesn't, it hasn't changed a ton. Um, So yeah, I think everything we talked about, but what I would say is, Um, when you're at a smaller church, you can often feel like you just have a harder time maybe filling those positions. And I think one thing is just hang in there because here's the beauty of staying in youth ministry for a long time is if you're kind of on the newer side and you don't have a lot of volunteers or leaders to pull from right now, just wait because the best fruit is yet to come. So you stay in your position for long enough to watch those middle schoolers, or maybe you do high school, whatever, for them to graduate from your ministry. So when I realized my middle schoolers eventually become high schoolers, and those high schoolers eventually become college students, and they loved junior high and me and the leaders so much that they're itching to get all the way back down and serve as a junior high leader. All of a sudden, my recruitment of leaders was like, oh my gosh, this is never going to be a problem ever again, you know, because uh, those seniors, when they graduate, they're like asking me, Kristen, when can I come back and be a junior high leader? When can I come back? When can I come back? But that didn't happen for, I don't know, like, six years or so, like you have to wait quite a while for that. Mm -hmm. And our senior pastor, Chris Brown, um, you know, one of my favorite things he said is he's like new, new youth pastors always will ask me like, how am I doing Chris? Like, what do you think? Like, am I doing a good job? And he's like, I don't know. Ask me in six years. He's like the fruit of your ministry will not be evident for five or six years. Keep plugging away keep going, keep trying, keep building, but the fruit and the like true test of what it's made of will not show up for five or six years. So I say that to be an encouragement to any new leaders that are kind of like, this isn't going well. I've been at it for a couple of years. And, uh, but it's like, yeah, those, the first five or six years are the hardest because you're laying a foundation for the DNA and culture of your ministry for hopefully the next 20 years, you know, Mm. 30, 40, whatever. It's going to be a long time, we hope. Um, So don't say, well, it didn't happen for me in those two years. So um, that's where those volunteers will hopefully come back around. So if you're running an incredible ministry and taking care of your adults, it's going to be magnetic. People are going to want to come back. People are going to want to serve and people will invite their friends eventually. So hang in there with what you've what you've got. And then, you know, the other thing is, um, I think sometimes, you know, and this is true for a lot of things in life, but looking at what you 
do have and maximizing that to its full potential and extent. Hmm. So, you know, for example, I think back to the leader I was at 18, you know, you and I had both kind of mentioned our humble beginnings, right? Hmm. And I don't know that I would have kept me on staff. I was like, I was kind of worthless, you know, like, I don't think I pulled my weight at all. I think somebody saw something in me that was just enough for them to continue to disciple me and be patient with me, show grace to me, mold me, chisel me and shape me into the leader I am. But that took a long time. And so as leaders, I think sometimes we could wish we had some, maybe we just need someone else. Like who's that awesome leader that I just don't have, but look at the students you do have, or the leaders you do have, or the resources you do have, and then ask yourself inwardly, have I poured everything I can pour into this situation to grow it and to make it better? So I don't think we always like sometimes we wait for the other person, like, well, they're just not mature enough or, well, they're not energetic enough or they're not doing a good job, but seeing yourself as the source and the resource, and you're the one who very likely is going to make them better. Think of your first time in ministry or your first message or your first, Mm. whatever, it probably sucked until somebody took the time to like come alongside you. Like I have notes from my first message And one of my friends used to read them in the office out loud. (laughs) And I'm like, shut up. This is so embarrassing. And he would do it just to like show me. It was like such a humbling experience, right? And remember what somebody did for you and do that for your leaders. You know, Mm. Um, you're the one who qualifies and makes them better, which, and that's why I know this is not what we're talking about today, but just a slight plug for the way that you treat leaders of the opposite gender in your ministry. I think sometimes we can put like a, oh, it's just so inappropriate for me to talk to you. But then if they don't ever, if women don't get proximity to you and you're the male leader, or if men don't get proximity to me and I'm the female leader, then there's half my staff that are not going to be developed. It's like there is an appropriate way to do staff development without making a certain gender feel like second class. You, You have to find a way to allow proximity to yourself because you're the leader and there's no substitute for you. Your wife is not a substitute for you you know, in terms of like, maybe just relationally, but not in terms of what leaders need to go to the next step. Jeff, he's not a substitute for me, for my guy leaders. So this thinking that we can just use our spouse to kind of disciple ministry volunteers of the opposite gender is, um, I get where that sentiment comes from, but at the same time, Jeff's not a professional youth pastor. If those two words can go together, like, So what does he have to offer? I have more to offer for them to go next level than he does. And so Mm -hmm. I think we need to make sure we're embracing all of our leaders of um, like, I'm the one who's going to qualify you. What, what do you have and where, what can I do to get you to go one step in the right direction? This is where you're starting. Every leader you have is going to be starting at a different place in terms of maturity, spiritual maturity, uh, relational skills, conversation skills, emotional intelligence, uh, energy, they're all going to be starting at a certain point. What can you do to get this leader to go one more step in each of those areas? You're the one who's going to qualify them in those ways. Now, 
sometimes there's just leaders that are just not cut out for it. And no matter what you do, it's going to be an uphill battle. But I feel like in 17 years of doing youth ministry, that has been like less than 5% of my leaders that have come through my doors. You know, most of the time people can rise to the occasion with the right care, the right training and the right relationship. Um, Just my experience, but there's, there's been about 5% that it's like, well, this just isn't for you, but I think that's pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree. It's, it's really trying to help them see how God has gifted them and that the uh, mold that they think they need to fit is probably not the one they actually need, need to fit, you know, and that goes back to kind of what I mentioned about cool factor or certain age or things like that. And I think as a leader, especially the dynamic, which I do think is related and could probably be in a whole nother podcast of uh, men relating to their female leaders and, and females relating to, to their male leaders is, um, is really just being able to help them realize, Hey, it's not, it's not so much about having to fit a certain mold, but also because of how God's gifted you, whether you're male or female in your personality and your experience, you have certain things that as a leader, maybe I can't even give to these students, but you can. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really going the next step in not just giving lip service, but showing them why they are so vital to your ministry and showing mm-hmm. them why it really does take the church as a community and why the church is not just one person. It's all of us and we need each other and how we're created for dependence. And in America, that's like an oxymoron. Like we want to be independent and have our own opinions and do this, but God created us to be dependent as he himself is in community and dependent father, son, and spirit. And um, how dependence is a gift and a blessing and something that allows us to grow and not something that, tells us you know that we're we're not enough in a negative way it's it's good that we're not quite everything we, we need to be because we need to have other people around us to help uh inspire us help show us and even we as the professional youth pastors uh <laughs> need to be able to show them like hey y'all have things to show me and teach me and um something someone told me a long time ago that I hang on to and probably say too much is uh, it's so good to always assume you are never the smartest person in the room that you Mm -hmm. always have something to learn from someone, regardless of how you judge them from the outside or what you assume you're not going to learn from them because of X, Y, Z. It, it really changes your perspective and takes the blinders off and really shows you, Oh, Thank you, Lord. Like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have gotten that if it wasn't for this five minute conversation with this leader on, I thought I was going to show them what to do well and right, but they're showing me that I've probably been showing them something that doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. that's on me. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really cool when our leaders get to teach us, you know, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's end with some words of warning and wisdom Uh, in 17 years. You've probably seen things that like, Oh, kind of like I just mentioned, like, maybe that's not good. Um, so Kristen, what are some methods that we should probably avoid in leader training? I mentioned the, um, the not having to have us be experts at everything. 
earlier. Um, a few might be obvious, but there might be a few methods that might seem effective at first, but then we realize that's actually detrimental. Um, any words of warning you would give to people who are trying to volunteer or trying to train their volunteers well? Yeah, I would say um, we use a saying at our church, guard the gate. And I think, you know, before you make that initial move to have somebody join your team, um, there's just kind of a process that we go through that kind of saves us from some of those like crud, like sort of mistakes. So, you know, first we find out who knows this person and do they have anything to say that might be a red flag, um, uh, especially if there's somebody that we don't know super well or whatever ministry they're currently involved in. Um, you know, asking those people, is this someone that you would feel comfortable working with kids? Is this somebody that you think would be a good fit for youth ministry? Stuff like that. So getting to know um, a little bit of their reputation. And it's funny, sometimes things that come up and sometimes you take them with a grain of salt because it's like, oh, that was just kind of a weird incidence between you and that person. It's not really who you are. So you kind of filter that through, but it's good to kind of get a picture of who they are. You know, Craig Groeschel always says the best time to fire someone is before you hire them. So I think you really, really guard that gate of like, well, who are we letting in in the first place? I think that's a big warning of... Yeah. um you know, you're not so exclusive that nobody's good enough to serve in my ministry, but you also make sure that it's not, um, that you're really aware of who is coming in and what they're bringing to the table. Because once a volunteer gets in, like it is one of the most cringiest experiences to have to fire a volunteer. It's just the worst. Unless it's like a clear moral failure that it's like a no brainer and everyone can agree. But if it's just this weird, like, um, I don't know if you're really a good fit here. Thank you for working for free, but no thanks. I know it's like, uh, uh, so just to avoid those really difficult conversations. So one thing I do is I tell people, after I've done this whole red flag check, I'll usually send out their information. So like if my Jeff wanted to serve, I'd say, Hey, Jeff Lascola wants to serve in junior high ministry. Does anyone have any red flags on him? I would send that to all of our staff. And then I, if he comes back, okay, I would put him, I'd say, Hey, why don't you come check out our youth program for four weeks? And that is the process where I'm watching them and they're watching me. I'm seeing like, are they, do they fit here? How are they interacting with students? Um, And it's a four week kind of like dating period where we see if like we want to make it official. Um, So I think doing a little bit of your homework on the front end and taking that slowly with just some observation and conversations can be um, sort of a, a, it'll help you in the long run because you've guarded that gate well, as well as you can. There'll always be unforeseen things no matter what you do, but it'll help you guard that gate pretty well. Um, And then the other thing I would just stay away from, and I think this is a mistake I made early on. And, you know, when you say the word training, I, my mind immediately goes to, all right, everyone show up at one o'clock and we're going to sit and we're going to do this. And I mentioned some creative ideas for that. I think there are ways to do that well, 
but let that be the minority of your training. If it is a session or a seminar or a sit down and take notes kind of thing, because we have to go through protocol for this or that, make that the minority of your training and then use the like 10% and then 90% should be the on the job relational proximity, because you're going to learn more about that person and how they tick and whether they're a fit or not way more than you are just sitting down and like, let's all listen to a lecture style training. So, Mm. um, you know, get in people's worlds, get in people's spaces, have those conversations as often as you can. And, let it be a gradual training that they didn't even realize they were a part of just like me of like, Oh, I know how to do ministry. I don't know how I know how to do it. I guess it was, I was being trained without me even realizing it. So yeah, don't, don't overdo the sit down. We're all going to do this uh, particular topic training. Don't overdo that. It tires people out. And they're all, they've all been working all week. We don't want to stick them in one more classroom type setting. I mean, even yeah. if you bring, you know, steak and lobster, they're still going to be like, oh, you know, this is not how they want to spend their free time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love the, you know, just as we would take a creative approach with trying to show students, whether it's through mission trip experiences or through, plugging into the rest of the church for one Sunday and serving and not just sitting and listening to you present a Bible verse, we should take the same approach with our volunteer leaders is -hmm. what I'm hearing you say and how, you know, I love what you said earlier about treating them as a paid staff and really investing in them as if, and as I mentioned too, like taking that next step to really show them how much they mean to the ministry, how much they mean to you, how much they are going to have an impact on these students and not to freak them out about it, but really to say, God's placed you here on purpose. You know, you're going to show up in ways that I won't be able to. Um, and so what are things that you're concerned about? What are things you're worried about? Ask your leaders to speak into the vision of the ministry. Don't just wait for, you know, they're, they're usually waiting for us to tell them, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. And we should be doing that as leaders of the ministry, but inviting them to speak into it and inviting them to be as much of a part of it because largely they are a huge part of it. And sometimes in practical ways, most of it. And so Mm -hmm. how can they really join in and have the vision be their vision? um, Not just the one that that they're told to carry out, you know? Um, And I, I I would bet that's what uh, pastors and elder boards, everyone else they want to have that approach with the church overall is, Hey, this is our vision. It's not just like, go do what I'm telling you to do. It's how can you join in this? And so if we do that mm-hmm. with our leaders, I think their investment in it um, takes an uptick and it helps them be more excited and to see how God can be at work beyond like obvious gifts or surface level stuff, but really next level stuff. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for hopping on with me. It's been a blast. Uh, Loved talking with you. Uh, Love what you and Jeff do with the podcast. Tell people where they can connect with you online and where they can follow the podcast. 
Yeah, I, um, our podcast is on all the podcast platforms, anywhere you could listen to a podcast, it will be there. Uh, but we also record it. So if you want to see what you are listening to, we're on YouTube. Um, and Jeff edits those and they're great and entertaining and, and he does a good job. So we're on YouTube, those and then social media. Um, it's just my personal account. So Kristen Lascola um, on all the social media platforms pretty much. So yeah, would love to connect. Or if you have any specific questions, you can always email me and that's klascola at northcoastchurch.com. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have all those links, uh, in the YouTube description and in, in the show notes. But if you're listening, hopefully you got those go look for ministry coach on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, Kristen, thank you. I'll be praying for you as you continue doing Rockstar Junior High Ministry. That's where the fun's at. That's where the action's yeah. at. Uh, perfect mix of, I still want to have fun and be a kid, but I want the privilege of being an adult and I want to listen to you. Like It's a really oh, awesome time. You're the best. Awesome time. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Kristen for joining us. The links to her podcast and other things she mentions here at the end are in the show notes and the YouTube video description. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, please go check that out and subscribe there as well. We have all of our episodes on YouTube starting this season. Also, every Friday, only on YouTube, we have a special five-minute segment called The Fantastic Friday Five. So go and check that out this Friday. On our website, youthministrymaverick.com, you can find all of our episodes, a complete list of our guests and their bios, a list of organizations to help you in your own ministry, some articles I've published, a store to support the podcast, and more. So go check that out. You can also find all of our social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We appreciate ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts so we can be more seen. And if you leave us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me and I will send you a personal thank you card with some merchandise you can't buy on the website. That's all for now. Hope to see you on YouTube this Friday. But until next time, thanks for listening. Adios.